Just a little pre-warning for our listeners that today's episode contains a little bit of swearing. Hello, I'm Ashley. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 22 of Choose Film Podcast. And as you know, we're still on our Scotland theme. We've been loving this theme, so many amazing films. And today we are joined by Josh Haynes, who has brought the film Filth. So Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you you so much for having me. No problem. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, Hello, so I'm Josh Haynes. Um, I'm a Glasgow-based actor who's been working in the industry now for coming up to nine years. Um, I got my first job when I was 16 in CBBC's MI High. I'm currently starring in CBB's Molly and Mac. Uh, I've done a few other notable short films, some music videos, and now a podcast. (laughs) Yes, and why filth when we put the Scotland theme to you? Um, well, I feel like I was a little late to the Scotland theme party. Uh, Ask Gary what had already been picked, um, and you guys had had some of the top ones, you know, Train Spotting, Ned's, I'm pretty sure. Uh, was Wicker Man in there as well? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like all, all the really good ones were taken. Um, and I was a little bit like, why isn't Filth in there? I was, I was torn between Filth and Train Spotting too, but I thought, let's not do a sequel, let's do Filth. Um, because that's that film's got a lot to say about itself. Yeah. Um, like the first time that I watched it, I'll be honest, I didn't really enjoy it myself. Uh, I think the film does a lot of what it says in the tin. It is extremely horribly gratuitous and just gross and filthy. Uh, I think that put me off the first time, um, years ago. But the more and more times that I've watched it now, I've learned to like really love the film and all its little quirks and just how mad the whole experience is yeah absolutely i said to gary as well when i watched it again i was like i forgot how weird this film was it's crazy it's absolutely mental um just all the shots the cinematography i feel is just mental all the surrealism from what's going on in james mcavoy's head whose performance is crazy as well as well as phenomenal yeah it's a bit of a roller coaster the film definitely Definitely. So let's all give the film a rating out of 10. Gary, I'm coming to you first. What would you give it? So I'm kind of the same as Josh. The first time I watched this, I was, I don't know if I was disappointed or I just felt like I had to watch it again, but it's been years later and I never went back to the film until uh, I had to for this podcast. And I think I'd give it, oh, I'm going to go for a 7 I love the energy and the rawness of the film and it jumps right into it like it means business from the start. Like from the first 60 seconds we see that Bruce is ambitious, a foreign student is killed and he's going to do what he can to solve this case to get his promotion and then we're kind of set off in this roller coaster. But I felt maybe halfway through it like Bruce kind of loses his way and then stops going after his goal and then you're kind of left just watching him take drugs <laughs> you know um so yeah I'll, I'll get into my points but i'll go i'll go for a seven because i think there is a lot in there yeah 
See, I'm going for an 8.5. I love Ooh. it. And I'm a bit torn because I'm like, oh, I kind of want to give it more. After a few times watching it, I'm like, oh, I do love this film. But there are f- a few bits where I'm just like, oh, that kind of annoys me. So I'm going an 8.5. I'll get into it in my points. But yeah, that's where I'm sitting. Josh, what about you? I would give it an 8. Um, <clears throat> I think, like what you said, Gary, like, you kind of get this gist of a plot for the first half of the film and then it feels like it loses its way and because there's so much mad stuff going on I think the first time that you watch it I don't think there's much hope for you for getting much sense of the plot the first time I think it's definitely like once you see the twist and what happens at the end and like how that all affects everything it's it's the second or third time that you watch it that you really get it so I think it kind of loses a point for that because it's not as clear and concise as it could be yeah. but the action, the energy um, the surrealism it's got some great tunes as well uh, yeah that's that's what makes it score pretty high for me. So for any of our listeners who haven't seen Filth as always here's a little well it's kind of long today um, <laughs> synopsis <laughs> of what goes on which I don't think you can really put into a synopsis for this film but anyway So, Bruce Robertson, a bigoted and corrupt policeman, is in line for a promotion and will stop at nothing to get what he wants. Enlisted to solve a brutal murder and threatened by the aspirations of his colleagues, Bruce sets about ensuring their ruin right under the nose of unwitting Chief Inspector Toll. As he turns his colleagues against one another by stealing their wives and exposing their secrets, Bruce starts to lose himself in a web of deceit that he can no longer control. His past is slowly catching up with him and a missing wife, a crippling drug habit and suspicious colleagues start to take their toll on his sanity. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) That's where it's interesting because with most films you can probably say what it's about in a sentence or two, Mm -hmm. but if somebody turned around to you and went, what's filth about? And you had 30 seconds to tell them, I don't think you could. (laughs) No, you wouldn't have a chance. I, I tried to explain it in my own words and I was like, that doesn't that doesn't explain it. Then I looked up synopses online and they were so long. So that's a condensed version. That's yeah. a condensed version of the condensed version. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely. You're a policeman. Bingo. Scotland. We're such a uniquely successful race. This nation brought the world television, whiskey, and of course, me. Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson. The games are always being played. That's everything you need to know about the guys you're after. Never thought I'd see the day when I left a knocking shop with more spunk than I came in with. Nobody plays the games like me. You just have to be the best. And I usually am. <laughs> Look at the state you're in, Bruce. I'm worried about you, Bruce. I used to be a good person. Stop! You're gonna hate me, Bruce! I think there's something seriously wrong with me. Um, so let's get started. As always, we'll go around in a circle, picking our three positive points on the film. So, Gary, I'm coming to you first this week. What's your first positive point on the film? Cool. It's basically just James McAvoy's performance as Bruce. He's so sleazy in this, so sleazy, but it is a knockout performance. Like, this is his film. 
and in a way it's great to see him in this kind of role and remember like where he came from he plays an alcoholic drug addict who's a homophobic sex pest and just watching him you feel uneasy and uncomfortable and the film is deliberately ugly or filthy shall we say but McAvoy on screen is captivating you can clearly see how he quickly went to Hollywood and he's in the Hollywood spotlight with like other stuff that he's done but the character itself is so flawed but he's got this goodness in his heart like you see it when he tries to give the guy CPR out in the high street um, calling and then small other moments like when he goes to the flower shop and he sees the reef that says dad and then he meets Colin's family in the police station and he almost breaks down as well and it's because there is goodness in there and there's one scene that I really liked and it's just one line of dialogue that shows so much and it's when he's, um, his female co-worker played by Imogen Poots um, he says to her on the stairs I used to be a good person Amanda and it's the fact that he calls her Amanda when she's been annoyed at him because he keeps calling her Mandy so when he calls her Amanda you know he means it but yeah, he, he is a good guy at heart, that's what I like, but he's just deeply, insanely troubled. But that's that's great character development. Although we're saying there's some plot issues, you could just watch him all day as Bruce. Yeah, that's actually my first point as well, because I, I don't think you can talk about this film without talking about James McAvoy. He's incredible, and every time I watch him, it's just a masterclass in acting. Honestly, he's so captivating. Um... He makes my skin crawl in this film. It's the his portrayal is disgusting. It's off. It's horrible, but it's so good, and, and that feels weird to say. But um, he's amazing, and he just has no respect. Like Bruce has no respect for anyone in this film except Colin's wife. That's that's the only person who he does kind of show a little bit of respect. And it's funny you say um, when he's given the CPR. That's like the sort of kindness whereas when I watched it I kind of thought that he was trying to be like oh I'm the big man I'll I'll save this guy I don't know I kind of thought it was like a an ego thing I didn't really see him as saving him yeah when I first watched it I didn't even see that I actually seen that he's a police officer around that area and if the actual police come he could be out his face on drugs and alcohol when he's like maybe supposed to be working. So it's almost if this guy dies, people are going to see what I'm really like. But then when I watched it this time round, there's this almost, uh, it's almost like a, oh, for fuck's sake, can he go and save this guy? It's a, he knows it's his job still. And to me, he was like, he will go and still save the person, even though if he, if it's a half-assed attempt. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. like a, oh, I have to do this because... Because I'm still a good guy at heart. Well, that's what I take from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as well, I saw the parts where his character breaks, you know, Bruce breaks, um, when he's talking to Dougie in the pub, or Dougie, 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 um, in the pub, and he mentions Stacey and Carol, and he just snaps, saying, like, seven, Stacey's seven, and that's the end of that conversation. You can see there's the heart there with his family. Um and when's the other time as well when he's on the plane with Bladesy and there he gets like really racist really quickly and you're like you can totally get that this guy's racist he's horrible in every other way so of course why wouldn't he be racist and then we get at the end that his wife is now 
uh, with a black man and that's where that comes from and you just I think when you do watch this film again Josh like you said you pick up on so much more and you see the hurt in this character and it kind of makes it a different film at some points like first time I watched it I was just like hate you hate you you're a horrible person and then now I'm kind of like oh my god this is just because he cannot deal with life he just can't deal with it yeah whenever whenever he gets faced with like reality and his actual problems you're right he like like shuts down like whenever whenever anybody asks him about his family like you see him instantly shut that down I mean there's a bit when Bladesy comes over to his house and Mm. you see Bladesy starting to pick up that something's not right in his home life and he's seeing you know like empty beer cans around the place and the place is a mess and he's like oh uh, how's the wife and he's like "Ah, just shut up and then he goes, ah, and how's the kid? He's like, right, enough fucking family talk or whatever. There's also the bit when um, he's watching porn earlier in the film and a black guy appears and the second that the black guy appears in the film, he like shuts it off and he's like, fuck off, fuck off. His problems are nicely peppered all throughout the film and you wouldn't get that the yeah. first time that you watch it. Again, because your focus is so much on James McAvoy because that would be my first point as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, uh-huh. we're all mutual agreement that <laughs> the best thing about his film is his performance. It's a testament to that as well. Like Absolutely. how captivating it is. Um, I mean, right from the get go, the second of the film, he's he's got you, and it's it's very train spotting esque. The start of the film. I don't know if the book starts so much like that. I don't know if that was intentional. It feels like it's a parody slightly yeah. of the of the choose life monologue mm-hmm. you know he's like oh scotland we came up with penicillin and the deep fried mars bar and yeah yeah it, it feels like a twist on that and james mcavoy is excellent right from the get-go he just pulls you right in yeah it's funny as well you're talking about the opening because i seen um schemers as well and that uses a lot of voiceover to tell the story and it's like fast-paced voiceover and obviously that's to do with the music industry so you can understand why there's like a beat behind it with some voiceover mm-hmm. i sometimes think is this what a lot of like the scottish producers feel like we need to start our films with now because it's what we're known for and it's how we're going to quickly capture our audience yeah totally. but see I, I feel like it's like it's something that is familiar and like for me that just drew me in like I know what type of film I'm getting yeah from the get-go and you know you see uh James McFoy with fingers in his ears like hates it's like he hates everything to do with that whole bit of Edinburgh that is like you know it's very touristy grass market the castle mm-hmm. and stuff um and you just know he he hates the typical Edinburgh typical Scottish thing but it's a sort of film that you think of oh Scottish film it's that kind of gritty you know train spotting-esque yeah absolutely yeah it's like train spotting on steroids like <laughs> the start of it like everything again yeah filth it's just more filthy than you could imagine train spotting being right from the get-go and James McAvoy embodies the whole essence of that film he is a out-and-out misanthropist uh you see him, you know, he's shutting off the bagpipes, um, which I think is quite a poignant little scene, uh, clip right from the start of it, because, you know, he hates the touristy side of it, but it also, I don't know, to me, it's quite a particular thing that he's shutting out the bagpipes. 
he talks about like how he loves his country but he won't listen to like one of our biggest national instruments if our only national instrument really <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also the bit you know like he goes down he sees the kid he pops his balloon gives him the fingers and all that and he loves it like he loves being horrible he loves being filth. He does seem to hate the tourist side of Scotland, but then this is where I get annoyed at the film because there's about three shots of him walking down the Royal Mile, which is the most tourist place in all of Edinburgh. It's like, go film somewhere else. <laughs> Aye, 100%. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and I just love how he holds the power where any scene you know, you're drawn straight to him and I think it shows especially in that scene where um, Bruce and Lennox go into the flat and they're kind of over the guy who has asthma, like basically bringing on an asthma attack or panic attack or something. Uh The beast protocol. (laughs) Yeah, literally getting on like, oh, what if we said this girl was 12? Oh, or 8 or 9 or whatever and just bribing him and he's just disgusting and then obviously he he um like threatens the younger girl as well and it oh it's just horrible like i don't know you can't sit still you're just like you don't want to watch but you do want to watch because it's captivating every detail is so nasty about it it's like you know like the fact when like he starts blackmailing this girl like he, he mentions her dad and he mentions like oh you know imagine you getting about him knowing you're getting about with criminals and all that. and like every little bit every little thing that he says is built to hurt somebody more in a certain way um, I mean the bit, uh, the bit, uh, the scenes that he's got with uh, Kate Dickey, uh, mm-hmm. the first, the first scene there, and you know she's like, "What's that that you said about that you love me?" And you know right from the get go that she's opening herself up and she's vulnerable, and he just goes on this mental diatribe of yeah. nonsensical stuff. Like it, like it doesn't really make that much sense, and he knows that he doesn't make that much sense because he finishes it off with like, you know, what is it? He's like, ah, "Love hurts." Carol, something like that, and like not Carol, but uh, I can't remember the character's name. Yeah, I can't remember her name either. Actually, yeah, we'll call but, her Kate. Uh, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to say in that first scene um, with Kate Dickey's character as well. It's the first time where we see him almost caught in a trap. He's got himself into this situation, and it's almost like being caught in a spider's web. And he'll do whatever he can and say whatever he can to get out of that situation. And you're right, what he's saying doesn't really make sense, but he's like, you've let me in here, you've let me in here, and pointing to like her head, he's like, but you need to let me in here, and grabs the love heart cushion, and she's mm-hmm. just like, she's basically like, I don't know what's going on here anymore, all she was doing was opening herself up that wee bit, and right mm-hmm. away he shut her down and escaped mm-hmm. that room. Yeah, that character's called Chrissy, didn't know that. Chrissy. Didn't know that at all. Um, and that's uh, the wife of one of his rivals, Doogie. isn't it? yeah. Doogie, yeah. Um, and it's quite interesting how that develops as well as the film goes on, you know, like when she comes back later on in the film when James McAvoy is a proper shell of himself and she basically, like, rapes him. It's mad because now he's literally lying on the floor after it and she's in this kind of power pose sitting on the chair, you know, and she's smoking and all that, like all this symbolism of, like, power and all that stuff. And he's literally crying on the floor, going like, "I'm broken, I don't know what to do." And he couldn't be any more open. I'll go into it a wee bit more in my second point, but he obviously is manipulating people, and he will manipulate up until the point where something bad happens, and then 
he feels bad and then that's when it breaks him down a wee bit more so you see it when he's obviously sleeping with Chrissy and then mm. he manipulates Dougie into going oh look there's nobody else don't you worry about it she's all for you and then on Christmas day when he's in the police station and uh, Dougie walks in and says oh she's left me and James McAvoy's got his back to him and you can just see him like <laughs> laughing like almost sniggering yeah. to himself but then uh, Dougie slits his wrists and you actually see it it's like an oh my god moment for Bruce and mm-hmm. it's like he almost tries to manipulate to the edge but doesn't want to go over that edge and then it slowly starts to happen as we get further into the film Yeah, mm-hmm. and I also think um, just going back to the sort of power of this character as well the the times where he looks directly into the camera it's horrible eh? it, it kind of makes you scared or like threatened by him even more and usually I don't like when characters break the fourth wall in a film like it sometimes takes me out of it but in this mm-hmm. film it's just like oh my god he is here he's commanding the space like even when he's going really really mad and deteriorating when he looks to the camera it's just that it's so intense um, mm-hmm. and I love it I love it it's almost unapologetic his performance, mm. like, you know, he's just totally grabbing you straight on and just, yeah, like... Yeah, it's it like is, how you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So impressive as well, how he keeps that hold on you, even when his character dips and changes so much, you know, and concurrent watchings, my sympathy grows for them every time. And it's amazing how his performance does that. He has his massive fall from grace and like you said like you know he pushes people to the edge he pushes himself to the edge and then when he gets there he he feels this massive amount of guilt and suffering i think it's quite a interesting and accurate portrayal of people who suffer from psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies but aren't full-blown psychopaths or sociopaths Mm -hmm. um like i'm fairly sure like this is feelings that they get a lot you know like where they have these impulses to push the limits of the social norms and people around them and up them just because they feel like they've got this power because they're close to them um but because they're not full-blown psychopathic or sociopathic they get this tremendous amount of guilt whenever Mm -hmm. they do it but i always find that a really interesting uh approach from like a character side of things because why how how do they not learn from their mistakes? Mm-hmm. We definitely see it. Like towards the start of the film, I think you just think he loves winding people up. He like gets a total thrill out of it. And then, as you said, like as the film goes on, you start seeing that realization of what he's done. Especially when um, he spikes Bladesy, and at first he's having the time of his life. It's like he's just letting loose, amazing. And then it all goes horribly wrong, and he. Bruce just seems to be like I fucked up but then it's like he needs he needs to manipulate someone to to feel good it's like that thrill that he gets from it and if he's feeling guilty about one he knows like if he does it to someone else he'll get that rush again Mm -hmm. Um, and that is sad like it is really sad to watch especially when he wakes up in the car on Christmas day um, and he just goes you think surely this is going to be a turning point or something and it just repeats over and over and then we see him in the 
the supermarket at the end, you know, completely all cut all over his face and just broken. Mm-hmm. And you just think, oh, just go and get some help that's actually going to help, help you. Help, <laughs> yeah. Please. Um, uh-huh. I think if we were to, like, kind of try and wrap it nicely, it's basically like he feels his life has been ruined with, like, Carol leaving him. That he's like, well, my life is gone. I'm going to take others with me. And then every time he does that, there's a little bit of guilt. So then he jumps to another person and it's like, I'm just going to ruin your life like mine's ruined. And then takes it so far and gets a little bit of guilt. And it's like this vicious circle. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Amazing. So, Gary, we'll go on to your second point. Yeah, we've kind of touched on it a wee bit anyway. But it's basically the distance that Bruce will go to get his promotion and the manipulation that goes with that it's just really cleverly done whether he's homophobic or not he brings out that his fellow police officers are homophobic (laughs) and the fact that he can do that simply by writing a bit of graffiti on the gents toilets wall and then going into the office and going somebody's wrote that and it just it splits them up right away you know they Mm -hmm. become they become really hostile uh, the other scene is them playing the penis photocopying game, which I thought was a really funny comical scene. But he's doing all that just to embarrass Lennox and make him feel like the weaker man. And then obviously there's the scenes with Dougie and Cassie where he's like sleeping with his co-worker's wife just so his mind isn't on the job. But they all think he's their pal. You know, they know he's a bit of a mess, but they think deep down he's a nice guy, he's actually looking out for me. But it's the complete opposite. But as well as that, he is actually manipulating himself and us as an audience and believing that Carol is still with him. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting point. It's done really well because in Bruce's life and Scotland in general, it's made look really gritty and nasty. But then when we cut to Carol, it's almost like dreamlike and sexy it's perfect filmmaking skills are put onto those scenes with like the lighting and stuff and I think it is a really interesting way where we are wondering why we are seeing this woman so much and we're never seeing them together so they are manipulating us and then at the end it's obviously revealed but I guess what is interesting is he also needs to become this alter ego to catch the bad guys and it's yeah. something that I think is interesting that it's at the start of the film, we don't know this first time watching it, but at the start of the film, it's his alter ego, his other mind, I guess. I don't want to call it a split personality because that's going into the whole split film. <laughs> um, his his other mindset is who sees the foreigner getting beaten up at the start or murdered. And then it's that same alter ego that has to catch the killer. And if you think about it, he's known from the start who's done this, but he's actually just trying to find a way to basically arrest them without his other alter ego coming out and everybody's seen it because they've all got these hidden secrets, including him. I've Mm. never thought of that, but now you say it, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How did I not notice that? Like, he knows. But does he know that he knows? I think so. I would say so yeah. because when he goes into the flower shop, he recognises the woman in the flower shop yeah. and then she recognises him but he doesn't quite know where from. So then that's why he... The, run... He's seen the files as well. I just he's took seen... it that when she recognised him, 
he decided to leave the shot because he knows where she recognises him from and it's his, yeah, yeah. He's, he's an alter ego. I'm not sure whether he does know uh, when he is having one of his Carol episodes because it's really, like, see when he goes into Carol and he gets picked up by uh, the murderers and they're in the car, he, he seems pretty out of it. Like, you know, he's going, like, my husband is... Bruce Robertson and you know like and they're like beating them up and all that and it I feel like it takes him a while to like snap out of it and another reason why I might I feel that he may not be entirely aware of what's happening is he does say when he's talking to Amanda I don't know I don't know why my wife's left me and that's driving him nuts and you know he, he can't remember a lot of things I think that's a huge part of yeah. his hallucinations like when he's given is it Colin the CPR, mm-hmm. um, and he's getting flashbacks to his brother yep. from like years ago. I feel like he's forgotten that. Like I think a lot of stuff that Bruce does is he represses things. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I when he's getting beaten up by the the baddies, the murderers in the warehouse at the end, I almost took that as his form of guilt and punishment. He's like, I deserve this, and because he says, um, is it at the end? No, it's to uh, Elliot's character. Um, he takes his hand and says, I just wanted her to be close to me or something like that. So mm-hmm. and there's, there's so many ways to look at it, which is which is great. But yeah, I took it that he, he did know what he was doing and he was going out every night as as Carol. And it's interesting, though, that he's like getting picked up like a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wasn't sure if maybe is that how him and Carol met? That was something I yeah. thought about, maybe. Oh. And is he playing Cadle? Or is he playing his own version of Cadle? I know, because you're right saying like he does go to so many lengths and if he did know, you think, well, why didn't why wouldn't he um you know, hand get these people into the, the police and then he'd get the promotion, you know, it'd be a very short film, but he knows and he'd be able to get to where he wants to be, but I don't know if he really does want to be there. Like, yeah, he wants a promotion, but actually he thrives off this this horrible, horrible life. And I think he does need to become Carol to keep her close. And, you know, obviously that's what he says, but I think he just loves the thrill of it all. It's funny that there'll be listeners right now going, you should have just read the book. It's all answered in there. <laughs> yeah, I've not read the book. <laughs> I've not read the book either. Me, me I bet, neither. Yeah, I bet all the answers are there. <laughs> um, so I'm going to jump on to my second point, which is the music. The music in this film is just incredible. I think, especially, um, I think it's called Robo's Theme, obviously, like made for the film, um, that we see at the start, and it's played throughout quite a lot, and it's kind of rocky bagpipes, and it's just this, like, unnerving kind of sound but it really drives things forward um and then obviously we have a lot of christmas music in it and the first one that i noticed i think was um little drummer boy playing Mm. when he's going to take the pills um and then he obviously has a flashback of his brother or sees his brother in the room he sees the weird pig head man and everything and then he takes the cocaine instead and it's just so ironic that like I see Little Drummer Boy as like a cute little Christmas song nice and innocent and it's the complete opposite what's happening on screen 
Um, and then we obviously have the parody of is it called Feast of Stephen or like Good King Wenceslas? I don't know, but we know the song that the <laughs> doctor is then winding Bruce up, um, rewording the song about Carol and has Carol maybe cheated on him and it's just getting into his head. And I love the use of the Christmas music in this. Um, and then obviously when he wakes up on Christmas morning in the car, I don't know if he's drunk or hungover or both. Um, and he's sick and he has the cocaine and everything and it's playing Merry Christmas everyone you know like one of the most happy upbeat Christmas festive songs you can get and it's the most bleak um, just horrible horrible filthy scene I just love the um, the use of that there and it's amazing then obviously we've got um, the big song in the club where Blades is totally letting go after he's been spiked at um, <laughs> Sandstorm and I just think that song just you just feel excited and you're like oh okay maybe Blades is just having this amazing time maybe but then maybe he's going to turn out like um, Bruce we don't know and then obviously it all goes wrong and of course they used um, Mr. Vane Mr. Vane recall or something <laughs> in the photocopying scene like yeah. the music has just placed perfectly and um, to finish up with Creep I think was the perfect perfect choice because mm-hmm. he he really is a creep like he's a more th- he's more than that but I just thought the songs were picked perfectly and some of them yeah it's a little bit cheesy and it's really really the opposite it's a bit ironic but I, th- I thought it was perfect the use of music creep was creep in a cover as well yeah uh-huh I can't yeah, remember so... who covered it but um it was yeah yeah, it was really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, they also had a lovely cover of uh, Duffy's Mercy at one point in the song as yes. well. It sounded great. Um, that was that was going to be one of my points as well, actually. Oh, sorry, know. we've cho- we've um, sold we've all, two of well, your points. I think that's a great thing about the film, though, is like it it knows what its strengths are. The way how it uses music throughout the whole film is excellent. Like mm-hmm. it's really confident with its use. I, I didn't even realise that he had a theme. Um that Bruce had his own theme. Like I was I was only like tuning in at the actual proper musical parts when actual songs would come on. But that shows again just how captivating James McAvoy was. Oh yeah. But, but the music was great. Uh, one of my favourite parts, which ties into my other point, which was I was gonna say I really enjoy the surrealism. But it's a combination of my two points, but it was uh, I think it's playing Silver Lady. And it's yeah, when he's Carol. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think that's the only bit of the film that's actually just really pleasant to watch. It just reminds me, I, I don't know what it reminds me of. It reminds me a bit of like the calf shots out of like Pulp Fiction, which again, aren't, to be honest, actually the easiest to watch. You know, you've got John Travolta shooting up and like, you know, you've got Mia with like a blood Lads, running down yeah. her nose and all that. But still, there's something quite comforting about those kind of shots, that kind of shitey background and you know like uh it's just an old school familiar shot and with the music and the way how the dancers pop in the singers pop in in the back and you're just like this is fun i like this bit yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's light-hearted in a very heavy film i mean in any other film it probably wouldn't be light-hearted um no but this, well the same in pulp fiction but it's just a little bit of relief and you think for a moment like, oh, I can just enjoy this. Like, I don't feel completely creeped out right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
um, you're just you're just kind of like laughing along at that bit. I, I really did enjoy that bit in the film. Uh, the second that the taxi driver just starts singing along, you're like, I know yeah. what's coming. <laughs> like you know what's gonna happen for the rest of that scene, and it's quite nice. It is a breath of relief. Yeah, you do you do need that bit of like light relief to then get back into it because it's the same with the comedy elements of the films. Most of the comedy comes from how vulgar Bruce is, and mm-hmm. sometimes when you're watching it, you don't know if you should be laughing at what he's saying. But because some of it seems to be so Scottish and you know people that talk like that and, and think it's normal and think it's okay, you know? Well, I can't imagine, now that you mention it, right, I've never quite imagined what watching filth would be like if you're not Scottish. Yeah. Because we, I think that's part of our culture, is filth. Like, we do, even even the poshest of us all, right, I think we all do, like, just, just nitty-gritty humour. And yeah. quite quite disgusting humour. I think the Scottish take quite pride, uh, quite a big pride in it. Um, you know our language, a lot. We you know we swear quite a lot. A lot of us take a lot of pride in how we swear and how we use language around that. Um, so I couldn't imagine what it would be like. I think I think Scotland's the only word where we see where we say the c word. I, I won't drop that bomb <laughs> on, on here. Uh-huh. But I think Scotland's the only place where we can say the c word in almost any way around a lot of people and it's really not that offensive like but anywhere else in the world if you say that that is terrible like proper proper terrible when i was on holiday a few years ago i met this older scottish couple uh who were staying in the same hotel and then i met this other english couple as well and we kind of just bonded together and we just became our own wee group and this older Scottish guy, he was so amazed and so taken back that he was allowed to become part of this young group and have beers with them at the end of each night and was loving his holiday. And then it got to the last day and he's like, he said, do you know what? I love you and used the C word. And to me, I was like, oh, thanks very much. That's great. The English guy was on his feet, ready to throw chairs. And I, I, had, to, <laughs> I had to take him aside and go, it's a culture thing that means oh, that's a good thing that's yeah. a good thing <laughs> he's, he's basically saying you're a good guy settle down <laughs> mm-hmm. like yeah like that's the most hilarious thing about Scotland is actually getting called the C word in a lot of contexts like it can be a good thing it can yeah. be a really good thing like oh yeah he's a good you know like uh-huh. I can't remember who said it it's it's someone really famous. So I should know who said it. It's like Billy Connolly or something said. Like we use it as poetry, like it's poetic in Scotland, Sweden. Mm-hmm. It's just normal. And I think as well, you know, with the character of Bruce and say watching it in a cinema in Scotland, you know, everybody's knows someone who is maybe a wee bit like him or has got some of his tendencies. I mean, Bruce is like an amalgamation of so many different people like I, I can't imagine actually meeting someone who was exactly like him but there's always yeah. wee bits you can think oh I've seen that guy or I've I know that guy who's lying to everyone in the pub or whatever um so it does make it kind of relatable in Scotland I would say yeah. right Josh I'm going to come to you for your third point so that Gary and I don't steal it in case we've got it <laughs> so um my third point was I just really appreciate how the film uses its surrealism you know all these little hallucinations that Bruce gets throughout the film and all the little cutaways and all the moments as Carol and you know as you said Gary like when 
having those moments a lot of the time it's filmed really perfectly and like you see in this like grand building a lot of the time with like you know like marble floors and like really fancy elegant stuff and a lot of the time you're wondering you're going that can't be his gaff you know Uh that's not whose gaff is that right and it's interesting when like you see Carol in real life at the supermarket yeah and I I think not in a bad way but she's just quite an ordinary woman Mm-hmm. Like it's quite anticlimactic when you see her, and it's also quite anticlimactic when you see the man that she's with. Like yeah. the build, the build up to that, and the huge character that Bruce is, and you only see this man for a couple of seconds, and he's like, "Oh, let's go!" But like all, all the slip surrealism catches so much more than what these characters actually are. But in his eyes, I would say probably like we see it for what she is at the end. But I guarantee that when he's looking at her, he's still seeing that woman mm-hmm. from his visions, which is uh, ironic, you know. A hundred percent, and I agree with you because he's he's proper going through it at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, it, and it's and it's just the way like when it it cuts away to when he's with the doctor, and you know parody and they're using music with that as well and he's doing like nursery rhymes with them and like there's like he's talking about like the tape were me and yeah. like <laughs> it's all so just weird. so bizarre great and it doesn't feel wrong in the film any of the surrealism especially when it's like in the same way that I think Trainspotting gets his surrealism really well you know when he like falls into the toilet mm-hmm. uh, and goes on like this mad jobby yeah. swim <laughs> um, I thought that uh, I don't know if it's always practical throughout the whole film. I think they use quite a lot of practical um, makeup effects mm. for hallucinations. I mean, I might be wrong, but whatever they used, I thought the designs for all that were like really great and off-putting. You know, like whenever like the faces of his co-workers would change, or um, when he's in his hallucination with Jim Broadbent and he turns into this mad humanoid tape one that also adds to just the whole surrealism effect and I thought the designs on those uh, hallucinations were very very well done yeah. to be honest what do you think about the use of like animal faces do you think there's anything symbolic there because it starts off that he's only seen like the pig face which you could obviously say is representing him as a police officer because mm-hmm. like a lot of the times like by anti-police people shall we say they like to use the word pig um, so I, I, I get that that's symbolic but the rest of them is really weird and unusual I think there's like an elephant at one point and yeah. and sheep I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if you I just kind of saw it as as like complete like madness and you know maybe a, at first it was stemming from this like idea of pigs you know that um, police are are called by some people um, <laughs> Look at his tiptoe around it. <laughs> Sorry, not me. Very good citizen. Not me. Not me. <laughs> not but so I've heard. I don't know if maybe it stemmed from that, and then his brain is just getting more and more carried away and feeding off it, um, and it just freaks him out. And I love that they're just used in the little flashes. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't really hold on it for very long. Pretty sure, mm-hmm. like at one point. Uh, Bladesy is a sheep and yeah, that right. would make sense as like just part of like the livestock you know like whereas if a lion might be someone that's a bit more powerful mm-hmm. in the film uh, maybe yeah. more of a rival to Bruce and stuff yeah because a man does see... a sheep 
Oh no, I think Amanda is. Um, I think she's like the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, she's so like, she I is. She's a yeah, green yeah. witch. Mm-hmm. I think there is relevance to what the hallucinations are. I think just some of them you need to dig a little bit deeper. I think yeah. the elephant one is a bit of a red herring because the only thing that I could maybe come up for that is it, that's for Gus, isn't it? I couldn't remember who it was. I just remember seeing it and being freaked out. The, he's like he's like the older he's like the older co-worker. I think that's when that's during the scene. I think when uh, Buggy comes in and he's just talking about his wife's left him on Christmas, mm-hmm. and then Gus comes in and he's really excited. And you see him as an elephant. I think that could be maybe because he's just the oldest of the bunch or something. I don't I don't know. Um, but the tape one. One for with Jim Broadbent is quite interesting because he clearly doesn't have a good relationship with his doctor. Yeah, the, the hallucinations I think do have quite a strong tie. There's to- something to be said there, I think, as well with um, the doctor because the doctor every time he hallucinates, the doctor, the doctor's always offering him bigger pills or more pills, and I think they're trying to say something there. Like sometimes your doctor doesn't listen to you. Then they just try and feed you more, more pills. Uh, take these and you'll be fine. Or oh, is that not working? Well, up the dosage. And mm-hmm. he's really basically trying to break through and go. There is something wrong with me here. Pills aren't helping. Pills are the problem. A hundred percent. You see that in his little exchange, like in that first meeting. Yeah, there is a certain anxiety about him that you think, how is the doctor not picking up on this or doing anything about this? And it's just a kind of like. Oh, if we can pass him off with this again, well. Mm-hmm. So, Gary, what's your third point? Filth is a Christmas film. It, it is, is actually. It's <laughs> such. Yeah. So you've got Santa urinating in the tunnel whilst Winter Wonderland is playing in the background. Um, you've got the homeless man with the Santa hat on. Christmas in the Hollows by Run DMC is playing. I spotted at least eleven Christmas trees. There's a Christmas. <laughs> There's a Christmas office party. Colin's wife wishes um, Bruce a Merry Christmas. Um, and then even on Christmas Day, you've got Shaken Stevens as Bruce, his life is spinning out of control. Mm-hmm. And as we've just worked out there, it ends on Hogmanay. Um, so, yeah, it's just a quick last fun point is filth is the christmas film we should all be watching not love actually not die hard but if we want to keep it scottish go and watch filth <laughs> i mean i could imagine what that would be like sitting down on christmas day when all this pandemic stuff's over i'm gonna i'm gonna invite everyone around get the grandparents over aunts and uncles and we'll sit down and we'll watch watch yep. a bit of filth first thing yep. in the morning i mean it might make you feel really grateful for what you have and you know like my life's actually good, you know, watching that. Thinking, <laughs> yeah. Do you know a little what? bit like the Jeremy Kyle effect. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is dire. Let's get some filth on. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the fact that um, Bruce is a bit of a loner and has no family, you just feel for him a wee bit more because it is Christmas. So I guess it does add that to it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I, I like the Christmas feel of the film and how... Usually Christmas films is a sign of happiness and joy, but they use it here in the opposite way, which I think works really well. I feel like it's quite diehard 
in the way that it uses Christmas, like as you said, like I would I would count both of those films as Christmas films, just adding to that controversial debate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that in there. Um but yeah, I would count both of them as Christmas films in the way that like the films don't revolve around Christmas. Um, you know, but there's enough elements in there that you go, Yeah, I could I could mm-hmm. pop this on during the holiday season and feel good about myself. And I think as well it's because Christmas is um, seen by so many people as like the the most wonderful time of the year. Everyone's happy. Everyone's well in normal times, not a pandemic. Like everyone's meeting up and you know hugging and exchanging gifts and everything. And these characters are not getting that. Like they're so in their own world and you know in this awful situation that that isn't even something that they're looking forward to. And it kind of adds to their heart, I think, as well. Because they're not getting that. They're not experiencing it. It's interesting because none of the police officers seem to be... None of the characters in general seem to be looking forward to Christmas. Like, it's like no one seems to be in a good position to celebrate Christmas in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's kind of going through it, aren't they? Definitely. Um, And my third point is actually the end credits. I don't think I've enjoyed the end credits of a film so much. They are so, so good and so well thought out. Um, you know, it's bright, cheery farm animals, which is a complete opposite to the whole film. Um, obviously, the farm animals we see in the hallucinations and we've got the pigs as police. We've got pigs um, snorting cocaine. Well, meant to look like that, but it's actually <laughs> milk. Um, <laughs> the bird eats eats a worm as well and then it's like a tape worm that comes out. Um We've got the peg in the police hat. The trees are meant to look like naked bodies. It's just so much fun. The end credits, I love yeah. them. And um, yeah. we've got the coal heap as well, which kind of goes a little bit deeper into that story and how it was, you know, it was all meant to be fun and they were just playing and stuff. Um, and it makes light of light of that. I think it kind of takes... The end credits kind of take the piss out of the whole film. But I really yeah. love it. Um, and apparently, I read that the mountains in it um, were meant to look like James McAvoy's face, but I couldn't see it myself. So I don't know if that's no just way. a bit of like fan fiction or someone's just made that up and I've read it online and I'm like, oh, yeah. interesting. I'll need but, to check that. No, yeah, I couldn't see that. it myself. But I just love the way it finishes. It's so cheery. And obviously, you've had the most awful end into the film. And then it snaps right into this bubbly bright there's so much pink and yellow and blue and everything's happy but actually what the animals are doing is pretty horrible um i just thought it was amazing i loved it loved the end credits yeah it was really surprising as well just jumping straight in you know you don't get it in a lot of films mm-hmm. nothing really about the film is very animated like you know you did have the hallucinations but as far as i've said i'm pretty sure a lot of that was quite practical effects yeah mm-hmm. And it just jumps into this crazy animation. You're like, what? Yeah, yeah, I love it. And, you know, I never... I'll watch the end credits, you know, if I'm looking for, like, oh, who did this and who did that or whatever. But this little outro is just perfect. I I love it. And it, it doesn't give you... It doesn't give you time to sit on the film and to feel really, really... I mean, you felt horrible the whole way through the film. And then it just snaps to this and it's like... It's fine, you're going to have a good day. Like, your life's fine. <laughs> Enjoy this. Yeah, it was almost like the Looney Tunes on drugs. Yeah, 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and I think that's kind of what they were going for was this is basically how James McAvoy's head probably is like when he's on all the drugs basically. Mm-hmm. So that's good. a good point actually. So I, good. Just just talking about the ending there as well. I am. Um, what do you think about the ending when he goes to um, commit suicide and the the door goes? It's it's so bittersweet because there's something quite what's what's the word that um there's like a lot of closure at the end of the film. Yeah, like you feel like you get the this weird closure. You know, he's had a full character arc and he's almost it's weird the fact that he's committing suicide. Know, which is a terrible act for anybody to feel like they have to do. Um, but the fact that he feels so at peace with it at the end, and he's really calm, and you know, he sends this video to Bladesay, and you know, he's very, very composed. It's and it's the nicest that he's been mm-hmm. to anyone in the whole film. It really hits you in the feels. And yeah. who who do you think is at the door? Do you think it's Carol and his daughter? Oh, I never thought of that. That's because that's why it's that shot. It's because there's so many parallels between them that you don't know and he doesn't know, mm-hmm. and then he just goes, "Same rules apply." Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I always took it as the new love interest. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because he just sees her. Remember, he sees her. He sees Carol in the supermarket, and he's beat up, and they have that, and. You know, so that could be a motivation for her, mm-hmm. maybe not to come back and join them, but just to be like, maybe you should see your daughter again. Or... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I saw it as I thought it was like the mum and the wee boy, and you know when he's uh, he sees her in the supermarket and he, he's just broken, and then he he kind of grips onto her and says, "Don't go," and then you can see she she didn't want to get into anything like that. You know, she what she was a very kind person, but I think. You know, she's seeing what what is actually going on for him. Red flags. Yeah, yeah. huge red flags. Red flags. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just that desperation of like, he doesn't know this person. He's literally grabbing on to like any kindness he can get. Um, and uh, you know when you see his feet on the chair, like when he's hung himself, and he's got the the scarf that she knitted as well. He was like holding yeah. her close, and it was weird because he doesn't know her and. It, it's I, just it's it's strange, I, but he's holding on to any any sort of love that he's getting. I feel like um, that is because he is imprinting Carol mm, onto yeah. this woman. Yeah, sums itself up at the end really well. It's filthy that last shot. Yeah, you see that break, and then it's just boom, end filth, and jumps into the animation. Yeah, I also think it's interesting that it's a form of choking almost that is how he goes out when he obviously was into what is it they called it uh, turning off the gas yeah yeah Chrissy. so yeah there's yeah. a metaphor in there as well i think as well you know i think the director knows the audience is coming to watch a film that's one called filth they've sat through all of this awful you know stories and situations that go on it's disgusting there's a part of there's a part of you that craves like yeah you oh a happy ending lovely but there's a part of you that craves like this this pain because that's why that's what keeps you watching and I think that's it that's within ev- ev- everybody that's why we watch violent films and stuff because there's a part of you that actually 
wants to wants to see the the horror of it as well because it's it's far from your life. It's the same reason That's... people watch serial killer stuff, isn't it, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. It wears its ugly face very, very proudly. Yeah, uh, and that's its charm. Any other notes or gripes or nitpicks about the film from anyone? Just Glasgow being used as a backdrop for Edinburgh again. So you've got the the bar that they used, like the pub, is I'm pretty sure is the old toll bar, which is in Glasgow. The Beresford building was used for the interior of the flat with the underage girl. And right. the external shots of that flat is... Um, like two minutes from my house, so I noticed right away. <laughs> um, I've got one is one of them as well. I've got one of them as well. The flower shop is just around the corner. From yeah. my gaff. <laughs> I would say for me, one of the only parts of the film that I don't like, um, but I know it's necessary for the film, is the character of Carol speaking into the mirror. I just find it like mm, I really don't like it. But then obviously, when it gets to the end of the film. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. It's Bruce being Carol. That's why it's weird and it's kind of seedy and, you know, he's he's making her more extravagant than she actually is. I think Shauna MacDonald plays the character perfectly, um, but just the use of that, the character looking in the mirror and these weird monologues, it just kind of makes me feel weird about it, especially the first time I watched it. I was like, mm, I don't really like this. Yeah, It's a part that just always sticks to me like I don't, I don't like the way it was done, but then I get, I get it. So it's not really a nitpick or anything, because I, I do understand why it was done and it gives you the the right feeling. But at the start of the film, it's like, oh, I don't like the style of this. One of my nitpicks would be, um, would be that I feel like they could have made the Carol parts uh, a little bit more obvious that something was up. I think. Like, when you see that Bruce is dressing up as Carol, you go, right, okay, so the earlier bits make sense now. But I think in terms of just from a narrative and directive point of view, they could have maybe included a couple more things to make us know that from the start. Yeah. To let us, to let us know that not everything was quite right. I mean, when you look back, you go, yeah, because it's, it's filmed a bit odd and she behaves quite odd. But I think should have been made a little bit more obvious and I think that would have helped the film more um, if you knew that the Carol that you were watching wasn't Carol because yeah, it does, it feels weird the something. first few times and when you mm. first watch it you kind of just go, is this bad character writing? Like, is this just bad? Like, you can't tell because it's right at the start. What I would have liked, and I was going to mention it earlier when we were talking about the opening voiceover James McAvoy's voiceover, we were saying how it was very reminiscent of train spotting. I would have loved for them not to use James McAvoy's voiceover at all, but have Carol have the voiceover whilst James McAvoy's walking down the streets and it be a female's voice with a deep fried Mars bar and the bagpipes and then at the end we realise why that's happening. Yeah, that that actually would have been really good, Gary. But that Definitely. that I think I agree with you. I think that would have worked really well as well. Um especially hearing Carol give that kind of I think she would have been able to give that monologue quite a lot of breath of life it's nice James McAvoy's one but I also kind of don't like the opening monologue too much because it's a little bit cheesy in my opinion it feels a little bit like a 
shite version of a visit Scotland advert, <laughs> like uh-huh. you know, and it's the way that he embellishes his accent a little bit, like that you get, you know. We do we tend to do it sometimes when we're doing arty stuff and be it music or filming, but he really the deep fried Mars bar and like I was a little bit like, come on. <laughs> like, has anyone's rating of the film changed after we've spoken about it? I'm going to stick with an 8.5. Love it. I think I'll go up to an 8, actually, because those things in the film that I didn't notice, like at the end when the two silhouettes come to the door, I never noticed it could have been either or, with could have been Carol or the new woman. And I also never realised the... Um, the racism parts and why he was being so racist uh, in relation to Carol's um, new husband or new man. Uh, I'm going to stick. Pretty good film, but as I said my points earlier, uh, I think it could have made things a little bit easier for the audience. 100%. I'm sticking with my eight. Yeah. Okay, so that has been amazing to talk about and We'll take a little break and we'll be back. We'll be quizzing Josh on the film with our quick fire quiz round. Ah, Bruce, I hear you have a pain, yes? Oh, a pain indeed, Doctor. And would this pain be one of your physical pains, yes? No, Doctor, my other kind. Well, the final destination of the pain recovery train is self-help via abstinence, Bruce, eh? Already booked my seat in advance. Super saver all the same. No more cocaine and chip suppers for Bruce, eh? Those items were previously favourites of the detective sergeant. Of course they were. And what of this promotion, eh? A mere formality, I'm sure. Only champions can rewrite history, yes? Yes, I've always believed that it's the winning that's important, not the taking part. Only winners are more attractive to the opposite sex, Bruce, eh? Like our successful friend here, the tape worm, yes. <laughs> Who do we trust, Bruce? Why no one, of course. Oh, quiz time. Okay, quiz time, Josh. Are you ready for it? I'm ready to go. So, okay, here we go. Okay. So, what is Bruce's second name? Robertson. Yes. yes. What is the name of the widowed wife that Bruce warms to? Uh, Lucy. Close, Mary. <laughs> Mary. Um, what year? So why at the end? <laughs> <laughs> um, what year was the film released? Oh, I'm torn between 2011 or 2012. 2012. It's 2013. <laughs> oh no! No! <laughs> what is Bruce's job title at the start of the film? Detective Inspector. Detective Sergeant. Oh, is it the promotion that's Detective Inspector? Yep. Oh, I'm so close. <laughs> I know. Um, who played Dr. Rossi? Jim Broadbent? Yes. Yes. How does Bruce kill Gorman? Martin Compton. Oh, it flies him right out a window, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> After, I think, biting his tongue off. Who directed Filth? I can't remember the second name, is it, but is it John something? Yes, I'll give you half a point. It was um, John S. Baird. There we go. Yeah. I'll, I'll take half a point. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know this one because you've already mentioned it. What is the last line of dialogue in the film? Uh, same rules apply. Yes. 
And uh, my last question is, when Blazey asked Bruce what made you join the force, what is his response? He says he witnesses, he witnessed like suppression of it in like the mining community, I think, or something, and then so he goes, no, I wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, police suppression. I wanted to be a part of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, nice. And last question: Which other high-profile Scottish actor was considered for the role of Bruce? Ooh, you McGregor? No, David Tennant. Apparently. No, no way. So uh, reports suggest, but that's what Gary said when I asked him. As well. I, I said you and McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> you McGregor, you know what? I feel, I feel like I love David Tennant. I love David Tennant. You know, like uh, big Doctor Who fan and all of that. And David Tennant is actually a massive, massive reason why I got into acting myself. Um, huge hero of mine. Um, but I think he would have been too terrifying <laughs> as as Bruce. Like James McAvoy has got so much range and the fact that he's disgusting and like it just but David Tennant doing that would literally scare the absolute shit out of me <laughs> like <laughs> so that is rounding off the filth section of the podcast now we're going to go into our fun facts Gary have you got Ooh. a fun fact of the day yes so the first apple logo featured Isaac Newton and it had him sitting under a tree with an apple about to fall on his head, but it was only used briefly in 1976 since its high level of detail wasn't able to be like printed and it didn't really show up that well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Exciting. That's a great fact. I Josh, love that one. Josh, have you got one? This is one of my favourite facts. Um, excluding the first few times that you may shuffle them, obviously, because they're in a set order every time you get them. Every time that you shuffle, a set of cards. It is the first time in all of history that those cards will have been in that order. Oh yeah. Crazy. Right, and you can do the probability of it on your calculator, but you know, you'd literally have to do 52 times 51 times 50 times 49, and by the time that you get to the end of that, I don't even know what the number <laughs> is that you call it, but if you look it up, it's fucking huge, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's massive. Um, so yeah, every single time that you've played with a deck of cards, that's the first time ever that those cards have been in that order. That's Crazy. quite cool. Yeah, I know. My yeah. fun fact is about Edinburgh. Um, and Edinburgh was the first city in the world to have its own fire brigade. Who knew? No way. Short and sweet, but there you go. <laughs> I think Glasgow was the first city to have a police force as well. Really? I think Crazy. it was also the first city to have a women's police force too. Scotland are up there with the first. Up, yeah. <laughs> this is Scotland, by Christ! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so now, as always, we'll recommend a short film for our listeners to go and watch. So, Gary, what's your fr uh, first short film? Your only short film of this week. Yeah, so mine is a documentary. It's only three minutes long, and it's called Wait For Me. And it's a story of a mother... Uh, and it's her search for her son who disappeared while hiking in the Himalayas. Oh. So it's an interesting wee three-minute documentary. Um, I've not actually recommended the documentary yet, so I thought I should start doing that. So, nice. Yeah. Josh, what about you? 
I'm going to do some shameless self-promotion. Go for I it. <laughs> I started in a couple, uh, Shed and UFO. You can take your pick on them. Uh, I think a quick Google will help you find them. I think they're up in a couple of places now. Um, was directed by Harvey Gardner and uh, produced by uh, Craft Productions. Uh, a couple of films that I'm just really proud to be a part of. Uh, and I think they're really charming in their own unique ways. Nice. <laughs> we'll put the links uh, to those in the show notes as well so the listeners can definitely go and watch them yeah thank you very much as well and my short film is actually produced by our very first guest rachel flynn um and it's called after the beep and it's with her production company interabang Produ- productions and it follows the main character claire she receives a very unexpected voicemail about a certain scandal from her past. I'm not going to say too much more. Um, but they also have on their YouTube a behind the scenes of how they filmed it because it was filmed in lockdown. And it's very interesting. So definitely go and watch that as well. Love that's all on YouTube. Lockdown work. Yeah, honestly. It was amazing. They had this like camera rig kind of strapped to the actor. So good. So good. Oh, like early okay. lockdown. Um, yeah. Very, very innovative loved it ingenious i know it's crazy what we'll come up with isn't it uh uh-huh always always adapting so there we have it amazing go and check that out um so josh thank you so much you've been an amazing guest to talk to and thank you for bringing filth as well um can you tell our listeners where they can keep up to date with you and what you're doing on social media um i'm not the biggest social media person but you can catch me on twitter um Joshua P. Haynes, uh, where I, you know, occasionally put up a annoying little post or whatever, and you can send me a message and ask for a personal video, or whatever. I'm not at quite Wagner's level yet. Um, I can't, I can't quite ask for like fifty quid for them, but you know, um, if you've got any little ones that would like a little personal hello from Mac from CBBS, then that's where you can find me, uh, and any other links on any other work that you're interested in seeing, just. Hit me up on the nice. socials. I don't have Instagram because I'm an old fart. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, and as well, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, You're this welcome. again. This was my first podcast experience. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. You guys have been lovely hosts. Oh, thank uh, you. I felt very, very welcome, and it's been so fun. Honestly, it's been really, really fun. Glad you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, as always, I'm Ashley, and you can find me at, at AshSutherland4 on Twitter or at AshleySutherland on Instagram. And I'm Gary, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at HewittGPro. As always, leave a review, share, tell your friends, get in touch with us. Uh, you can email us at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at filmchoose or on Instagram at choosefilmpodcast. And you have been listening to Choose Film, a real retrospective. And you can join us next week where we will be joined by Chris Quick going into The Wicker Man. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Bye.